Good morning, One Church. How you guys doing? Cool. Fantastic. My name is Chris. Hang on. And, uh... Get your feedback going on there. What? Is there something wrong? Okay, we're good. Um, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. This is my lovely wife, Kim, and we are smack dab in the middle of a series we're calling Frantic Family, because sometimes family is the, we have great source of joy with our family, but sometimes our family, to be honest, we want to pull our hair out. Um, and I'm sure if you're anything like me, families are the, the great, I mean, you, there's so much happiness, there's so much hope in families, but there's some parts of your family, like the cousin Eddie's, you know, it's just like, what in the world were you thinking Jesus, right? Giving me those people. So, and uh, we're timing this uh, right now because we are right on the edge of summer. And for those parents in here right now, we know what's ahead. We do. Because your kids, my children, they're like, whoa, we can't wait for summer to be here. Vacation Bible school. Vacation Bible school whatever it is. And, they, and they're so excited for about 24 hours. And then after those 24 hours, they're like, Mom, I'm bored. Dad, I'm bored. And will you please do something? Can you make me happy? And I don't care what you do, you can never make them happy, right? So this is one of those series that we thought, we're going to do this right before the summer because I need to hear it. And just to let you know, because I do need to hear it, I am not perfect. I am not perfect, and I'm not the best parent. I'm not the best husband. Uh, this is a, a picture of our family. Um, we have three boys. Uh, we have a 16-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. Their, their names are Walt, Jed, and Bing, kind of in that uh, age order. And my wife and I, we've married, been married for 22 years, and we, we're finally getting something right. I don't know quite what it is right that we're getting, but we're learning. You just need to know this. As we go through this series, we're not experts here. We're learning along with you. In fact, uh, today I'm probably preaching this sermon more to myself than anyone else. So if you hear me preach and then say amen to what I preach, then you'll hear, you'll kind of know what's going on. So anyway, today, as we're unpacking this, I want us to really start with the end in mind. I want us to go with this principle of parenting with the end in mind. And let me kind of explain that. I want you to imagine... Those who have children, and even if you don't have children, um, imagine one day possibly you having kids. And you've went through, you've spent years with them, and they're 18 years old. They're at the right at the cusp of adulthood. They are ready to launch out. I want you to imagine at that moment, what do we want to be true to our children. What do we want to be true about our children when they reach adulthood? What type of things do we want to be able to say about them? What's some of the things that we want to be able to say, that's what I want my child to be? And it doesn't matter kind of even what age they are. We can all dream. In fact, Bill Cosby he even said this way. He says that he defined adulthood as this. When my kids become adults, when they don't cost me money anymore. Does that ever happen? Probably not. Exactly right. So wherever you're at, and maybe you're a teenager in here today, I want to challenge you. What do you want to say to be true? Some characteristics that you have 
when you turn 18 and when you reach adulthood because we need to parent with the end in mind we need to focus on what we want our children to be and to become when they when they reach adulthood now here's the thing here's the pushback here because us as parents we usually focus on actions we focus on what they do in fact not just parents but our education system you know, when they go into school, they learn to, the alphabet, and they learn to read. They learn writing skills. They learn English. They learn math skills. They learn science skills. They learn art. They learn all of these things so that they can get, take the right classes, and if they make the right grades, then they can go to the right university, and they can be able to get a great degree so that they can have a career. And our educational system is focused on what they do. What they do. But you know what? I think there's a bigger question than what they do. I think the, the best question isn't not just what will our children do. A better question is who do we want our children to become? You see, the first one is a career question. What, what, what are they going to do? Oh, and, and what job are they going to get? And how much are they going to make? And, what, and, and what's, you know, what type of benefits are they going to get? That's career. But the better question is, who do we want our children to become? And that's a character question. You know, skill sets are important. Career is important. But what's even more important is your character. Because think about it. You take character everywhere with you when you go, Right? I mean, you take your character into your job and what you do. And character determines how good of an employee you are. You, you take your character into your marriage. You take your character into once you do have children, you start parenting them. You see, character determines everything. Character is our faith. It's our mindset. It's our perspective. And, it's, and, and, and here's the crazy thing about it. At some point, all of us are going to retire from a career. We will. But you know what you're never going to retire from? Your character. Because your character is going to direct everything else in your life. Character determines the person you are and what you do. You bring who you are into everything that you do. And we got to be focusing today on our child's character. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Today's subject, it's going to be a little tense. You're going to be going... Oh, and, and it stung me when I was typing it. I was like, that's going to leave a mark. But I just, I, I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want you to parent with the end of mind. What do you want to say? To be, I mean, when your child turns 18 and they're no longer a child anymore, they're an adult. What type of characteristics do you want them to have? And it really is all dependent upon the question, what do you center your home around? What is your home centered on? Good morning, everyone. I think I'm having some mic issues today. Here, let me help you. Here we go. He's going to say what he said before. I'm going to turn my wife on. Y'all remember oh, that? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. So, all right. Hi. Yeah. Good morning. Been having some... Are oh, you good now? Is that me? Yep. That's you. Hey, good morning. How are y'all today? Good to see everybody. I want to um, just stop for a minute and just thank Chris for what he was sharing there because as I was listening to that in the first service, it really hit me that um, 
You know, not everyone in here has children, or some of us who have children who are maybe already out of our home, or maybe some of us don't plan to have children, or maybe some of us forgot our children. I don't know, but um, but but it really it it really rested on me that for those of us in this series who aren't necessarily doing life with children right now, I know it's easy in a series like this to just come like, oh, I got to sit through that. But when he was talking about that our character and what are we becoming instead of what we are doing that just really that really rested on me because this not only applies to us raising our children but it applies to me every single day every one of us is on our journey with Christ and as we take that daily journey with him it's about Lord who are you making me to be how do I become more like you so I challenge you as we sit here and we, and we talk about children and parenting, if you're not in the middle of that, please filter out what you can about, you know, this journey is for all of us. And even if I'm not a parent yet or I'm already finished with my parenting, I can still apply that here. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to the question that Chris asked, what is your home centered on? You know, some, some homes that we know of that we can go in and we're like, ooh, wow, this, they love sports in this house. Like, these are big sports people. They go to sports, they play sports, they're all about sports, they know the stats, you know, that's just, and that's okay, that's okay. You know, some homes are, are like, I mean, we got this one house in our neighborhood, y'all, the yard is amazing. I'm, I'm just like, wow, they spend so much time in the, the beauty of the home itself. You can tell that really means a lot to them, they're centered on that. And, and for some of us, we may be in a home where we're centered around our children, and there are lots of us that have grown up in child-centered homes. There are a lot of us that are raising kids now. And, and I want to explore a little bit about what that means. To a certain extent, our children are absolutely a center in our home. They, they require our focus. They require our attention, especially in those early days. I know Justin and Michelle are living this right now. They've got a newborn. You know, that baby can't take care of itself, so they've got to feed it and change it. And cry when, it, when she cries, you know, they get up in the middle of the night. There is that season where that is required because we are meeting their physical needs and we have to be there to help them with that. But what I want to make a distinction between is caring for physical needs and, and basically catering to our children. Basically making everything about our lives be centered around them. And y'all, I, I've lived this a million times. Um, when we first moved to Iowa, um, Walt was just a little guy. And of course, you know, as a first time mom with him, I, I just... The, the transition, that's all I could think about was, oh, we've moved from Virginia Beach across the United States to, to Iowa, to this farming community, and it was so small, and everything had changed, and life, and schedule, and all this, and, and y'all, I just couldn't, I just, I was just on him all the time, like, oh gosh, he's taking a step, oh my, oh, here's a bite of food, oh, he's going up the steps, careful, 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 you know, just everything and anything that he did, I was like in it, on it, uh, before it, behind it, around it, it was like, woo, Walt, 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 Walt. And one of the families, we were in our church, we were in our home, one in, in their home one evening, and the husband of that couple came to me and he was like, Kim, yikes. And I'm like, what, ma'am, what's going on? And he's like, you are letting that child run you. Oh, y'all, I was, I was wounded. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I thought, I'm doing the best I can by this boy. I mean, he has come into my life and he has rocked my world. Isn't this what a good mom looks like? 
Isn't this what we do? Don't we give and do and serve and run after and feed and clothe and bathe? And, and he was like, no, 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 no. He's like, you, you, you can't see anything else around you because you're so focused on him. And he was exactly right. Only a few months before that, Chris and I were taking a walk one day and Chris looked at me and he was like, Kim, are we ever going to get our marriage back? He's like, this child is a year old. He's like, I miss you. And I had made Walt my everything. He had, our home had become a place where everything was centered around him and I was only focused on him and his needs. And I want to suggest to you that when we do that, a couple of things happen. First of all, we, we risk harming this relationship. We risk leaving out our spouse and leaving them behind and forgetting about their needs and pouring in here, which is exactly what I did. And all of a sudden, we've got a spouse who's like, well, I'm not important anymore. Wonder what I'm doing here. The other thing that happens is we put weight on a child. We put responsibility on a child that they're not meant to bear. When I was giving my everything to Walt, it wasn't Walt's fault, it was mine. I was doing it. But by doing that, then I, I began to shift my thoughts and my need for other communication, other friends, other relationships. I shifted that on him. And that's not something he can understand as a child. That's not something he's ready to, to take on. That's too big for him. It's too weighty when we do that. We're called to raise our children up, not become a part of them not, not give everything we've had so that our focus is completely lost. We call, that chi- we call that child-centered parenting, where almost everything we do is run through the filter of what is best for my child. Now, there's healthy places in that. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the everyday care of them. I'm talking about when it becomes to the excess where every thought is their schedule, their food, their time, their toast, their sleep, their, them, 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 them. And everything in our life is lined around that. You know, some of you may have come from homes where your parents didn't focus on you at all. And so you don't want to make that mistake. Right. You're like, I, I got to focus on these kids because my parents didn't, didn't give two flips about me. They didn't know if I was coming or going. So I understand that tendency, but I want to say, watch out for that. And that brings us to our big idea for today. Our big idea for today is it's a little tense one, as you can tell, because everybody has this tendency. It sounds really that you're a good parent if you make your children the center of your home. It sounds like you're doing really great. But that's not the case. Because our big idea simply states today, child-centered parenting produces self-centered children. Now, before you push back, remember how we started this? I want you to parent with the end in mind. What do you want them to become when they're 18? See, child-centered parenting produces self-centered children because if you grow up thinking, I'm the center of my mom's universe, I'm the center of my dad's universe, when they grow up to be adults, you know what they're thinking? I'm the center of my universe. I'm the center of my boss's universe. I'm the center of... And some of you work for people like that, do you not? Are they fun to work with? No, sir. They're not. Because, again, it's all about a character question. And as a parent, there isn't a single one of us in here who would say, you know what, my goal as a parent is to make my children the center of not only my home, but to create a self-centered, entitled person. 
no parent would ever say that out loud, but I think inadvertently our good intentions of just of, of, of only focusing on them creates a self-centered child that eventually grows up into becoming a self-centered what? Adult. Now, there's three trends, three behaviors that we need to look for. The first one is simply this, that if we don't want to grow up, if we don't want to raise children up to be self-centered, then us as parents, we've got to stop rescuing. We've got to stop rescuing. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I'm not saying if your little one has fallen into the pool that you don't jump in and save him or you give him a life preserver or whatever, okay? I'm not saying that if your little toddler wanders out onto the interstate that you don't go out and grab him. That's not what I'm talking about. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you become the parent that insists on protecting their children from every consequence of their every action. Some educators call these parents helicopter parents because all they do is they just hover. They hover around. You know, their, their kids right here, they're right there. Right? Um, and, and it's like, so how many of y'all have children that are in sports? Let me see your hands. Anybody ever seen a parent like that on the sidelines? They blow up. Do you, you did not give my son as much time as you gave their son to play soccer. And my child I know is destined to bend it like Beckham. Right? I know they are destined to be pro. Or, or you're the parent that shows up with an agenda on parent-teacher conferences. And you want to bubble wrap your child so that they get, they have experienced no consequences. But great picture. Finding Nemo. Anybody remember Marlon the dad? That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Nemo. Okay, you can't go out of the anemone. I mean, you're going to, you, you can't go into open water. You know, and he's just, he's, he's frantic, he's freaking out. And then at the end of his rope, after, you know, Nemo has been lost, he's sitting there talking to Dory. And he says this to Dory, I promise to never let anything happen to him. And Dory says, well, that's a funny thing to promise. If nothing ever happened to him, then, then it wouldn't be too much fun for a little Harpo. Nemo. Nemo. Right? Rescuing parents insist that no harm ever come to their children. And again, I'm not talking bodily harm. But I am saying when they make a bad choice, they need to feel the consequences. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Next one, behavior number two, is the inability to say no. The inability to say no. A reluctance on the parent's part to be able to say no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to buy that. We're not going to do that right now. And here's the, here's the pushback, because I feel that tension, you feel that tension, that you may have the financial ability to be able to say yes to the piece of gum or yes to this. And again, there's nothing wrong with saying yes sometimes. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're always saying yes and you're never saying no, then what you might be dealing with is you want to become more of a friend to your, your child than a parent. And we talked a lot about that last week. All right? Again, we put that pressure on our, ourselves. So, and if you're not careful, what you're going to do is you're going to be, be so child-centered that you're going to raise a self-centered adult. The other thing that we have, are going to look at this morning is um, failure to enforce limits. This is a tough one. 
Because there are days I'm sure that we're all weary and we've got some guidelines and guardrails. We mentioned that word last week in our home. Some things that you want to set as boundaries for your children or rules that you want to have for them. And there are some days that you're just tired at the end of the day. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think our children know when to approach us at a certain time. Would you agree with me on that? You know, they know when we're in the, when I'm in the kitchen... And, y'all, and I do use it sometimes, so y'all just... But, you know, if I'm in the kitchen, I'm really having to concentrate in there. That is not my main thing, right? So if I'm in the kitchen, I'm doing something, here comes somebody, hey, mama, 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 and I'm like, yeah, right, go. Okay, and then I'm like, what did I just say? Oh, my gosh, that was like a rule. And so they kind of know how to work that system there. And we have to watch out. We have to keep those boundary lines in place. Right. Remember, self-centered children become self-centered adults. Now, I have a great example of this that I want to share with you guys today. This is from a a Harvard student, okay? He's in a class at Harvard, and um, he realizes that um, he's got some trouble with assignments. So let me read you this email that he sent to his prof. Now, this is the student writing the prof, and he says, Hey, prof, I attended a lecture yesterday, and I found out that we had an exam due in the course last week. Until the lecturer mentioned it yesterday, I was oblivious to the fact that we had one for this course. My attempts to notify you of this yesterday didn't pan out. And upon my subsequent re-inspection of the syllabus course outline, I also noticed that there are two reading assignments before the midterm, and I didn't know those two assignments were due at any particular time. And I am completely astonished by these revelations, and I am not sure how this happened. Really? Y'all, this is the student to the teacher. He didn't do his homework, y'all. I mean, come on. This is like the fancy way of saying, I didn't do what you've already outlined, the guidelines that you gave me. I just chose not to pay attention to those. So then he finishes up by saying, I am surprised that you, professor, didn't notify me of my failure to complete those assignments. What do you suggest that we do? We have a problem. He must be speaking French. I'm hearing a lot of wee wee. Wee wee wee. Yes, exactly. Now, have you guys ever been in a situation like that where somebody just completely blows it? You know, that just the rules, the guidelines. I mean, whether it's in our workplace or, or some of us are in school, you know, there are certain requirements that you have to meet. And when you don't meet them, there's going to be some sort of issue. You're either going to get fired or you're going to get a letter in your file. Something's going to happen there. And what happens when we don't cause our children to be aware of and obey those guidelines and those boundaries is they become entitled. This is entitlement that we hear here. Like, I didn't know and I wasn't aware and I, I, me, 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 I, I, I. And this is Harvard, y'all. Harvard. Really? We're not talking community college. We're talking a place where people work pretty hard to get in there. We, don't, we can't make it so that our children have an easy life all the time. Sure. We have to require some things of them. That's not wrong. It is for their health and for their benefit. They will rise to the level of expectation. God's word to us, his instruction manual for us is the Bible. As Christians, we need to know that so that we know what he expects. 
Our children are in the same way. They need to know what is expected. Today we're going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, feel free to open it up. If not, get out your phone, go to the YouVersion app there. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. And the verse starts out by saying, don't be, what? Don't be selfish. That's an example of entitlement, is selfishness. Are any of you in here selfish? I got to be honest, y'all. I'm so selfish. I really am. There's certain things that I've got. I don't want anybody to touch it. Don't touch my stuff. You know, I got my running stuff. Some of y'all might know I do some running. And I've got these, these earbuds. Oh, they are the bomb.com. Let me tell you what. They're like, they're like Bluetooth. Have any of you got any of those? So you don't have to plug it in. You just hook it up to your phone and then you're running. You got no cords holding you down. I mean, you're just moving. You're going. There are no strings on me. I got no strings on me. High five on that one. <laughs> Run like the wind, bullseye. So I'm out there. I'm running. I'm going. I come home. You know, sometimes I might leave my stuff strode around a little bit. And if I see anybody touch those things, I'm like, Whoa! get off my Bluetooth. You know, I'm just, I'm just protective of that. I'm selfish of that. Well, you know, we don't, that's wrong. What is more important? My children are my, well, let me think. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. But we don't want to be selfish. We don't want to, child-centered. We don't want to be so selfish that we teach them that, okay? All right, so let's go on. Um, and let's look at the next part of that. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Anybody here guilty of that? Yes, I'll keep it on myself right now. You know, sometimes if I'm out running, see somebody, I'm like, oh, I might be able to pass them. Uh-huh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm taking it on. Here I go. I'm just going to move on. I'm, I'm trying to impress. I'm trying to get some attention. We don't want to be that. That's wrong. Y'all, I'm going to trip and kill myself one day. I know it. I'm going to come with it with two less teeth. It's not going to be a good thing. We don't, we don't want to be selfish. We don't want to impress others because when the spotlight is on us, when it's the me game, when we mess up, guess who the spotlight's on? Me. Magnifying glass all over that. So have you spent your time trying to impress other people? Now let's go to the next section. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be If we are so busy trying to raise ourselves up, There is no way that we can practice that humility. We have to get down in order for God to raise us up. Just, that's, it's for our children and it's for us. Here's the question. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. That's good. We don't need to down ourselves. It's not like, oh, I'm terrible. Oh, I'm not good at anything. We're not talking about, we're not talking about um, our self-image here. What we're talking about is thinking of ourselves less and thinking of others more. Be humble, thinking as others as better than yourselves. Better than yourselves. Now, here's the problem. As parents, we want our kids to be the best and to do the best. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, We want to build their self-esteem. And what's hard in this culture is we live in a culture where um, it seems like they hand out trophies for everything. Right? I mean, they don't even take score anymore. Anybody remember a time when they used to take score? Crazy, isn't it? So, I I go to a soccer field. What's score? We don't keep score. Because if you keep score, there's going to be winners and losers. So we're going to teach them about life. That's kind of crazy. 
all right? And, 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 and they, they will hand out trophies for almost showing up every time, right? And I get it. As a parent, we're a little biased. We think our little, our, our, our daughter, our son are the best. And when they're in first grade and they're that tree in the school play, you know, and they're like, <laughs> right? And, and, and we go, oh, he was so precious. Did you see his root system? It was gorgeous, Right? <laughs> it just—it is crazy, and we're so biased. And here's the problem: we tend to we encourage our kids, and we should encourage our kids. Hear me: we should encourage our kids. Here's the problem: when we over encourage our kids, because let me tell you, when we over encourage our kids, over encourage children tend to undervalue other people. Somebody needs to tweet that. Over over encourage children tend to undervalue others. And there's a fine line between encouraging and over-encouraging. Because in word, what's at stake is they have a tendency to have the entitlement. And they're the me. I mean, they're the me generation. They're focused on the, and they undervalue other people. And it's a tightrope that we're walking. And some, you know, we come up and, and our children, they don't do a lot of sports, but they're in band. Right? And, um, and we want to go, yeah, you did great in band. And, and yeah, that solo was great. I, I, want my ch- I want my child to say, okay, yeah, the solo was good. But did you hear the rest of the band? Man, that was awesome. They all did good. Or, you know what? Well, you're, uh, let's say you are a sports person. And they go out and they're playing baseball, right? And you go and you're like, you did great. Wouldn't it be great for your child to say, you know, I, thank you, Mom. I, I, thank you. Did you see the rest of the team too, though? They were amazing, Right? You see, that's the type of people we want to hang out with when we grow as adults, right? We don't want everybody to go, did you just see what I did? Yeah, I Can you believe I did this and I filled out this report right and I did this? And man, did you, and everybody's going, oh, it was you, huh? It was all by yourself, Right? I mean, it didn't take anybody else. No other co-workers. You see, that's the tension we have here. And Philippians nails this. Because in verse 4 it says, Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now, again, you probably taught that to your children, right? If you don't know anything about God, Jesus, or the church, you mean you, this might be your first time in church. Here's what I probably know about you. You probably taught that to your kids. Don't, you know, it's not just about you. It's about others, and I get that. And, and we tell that to our kids. Hey, you, know, you need to focus on other people. Quick question, parent. Do you focus on anything else besides your, your children? Because if you don't, and if they're the center of your world... Your actions are always going to trump your words every single time. They do me. I got a lot of words. Right? And here's the issue. I can tell my son something. Or I can say something to my wife. And if my actions don't line up with that, I've done wasted some breath. Because if your children are the center of attention and you're not serving other people besides your child. If you're not looking out for other people's interests besides your child. And they are your sole focus. They're not listening to you. They're watching you. And they're saying, they're thinking, hey, I'm the center of the universe. Paul summarizes it. Last verse we're looking at today. He just, he kind of, he Jesus jukes everybody here. And here's what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
That was his attitude. And that's why people, even people who don't even believe in him, thousands of years later are still talking about Jesus. They're still fascinated with his life. And that's the reason why some of you are in the room today this morning. Because you're not sure he's God. You're not sure, but you're kind of curious about him. And why are you curious about him? I'll tell you, I, I, I believe it's because you see some things in Jesus' character and the, it's the nature of God that you're just drawn to. You can't explain it. And you know what? You believe maybe your life would go better if you behave like Jesus. And something inside of us knows that. Now, again, a question for you. Don't you admire those characteristics we just talked about in other people? Don't be selfish. Be humble. Don't make it all about yourself. Look out for other interests, not just your own. Those are the people who have those characteristics that you like hanging out with, right? Say yes. Thank you very much. All right, you like those people. You want to hang out with them. You want to become friends with those people. And let me tell you, the opposite of that, some of us, you have selfish people in your life, don't you? And you, you, may have, I mean, you may have that selfish boss at work or that selfish em, employee and it's just like, man, he just grates or she grates on your nerves. Or you may have a selfish person in your extended family. Um, and every time they come home for, you know, vacation, it's like, huh, when are you going to leave? Oh, I just got here. Yeah, when are you going to leave? You know, because it's hard to deal with people like that. So if we're going to parent with the end in mind, here's what you and I got to figure out. We've got to figure out, okay, we love our children. We know that. But we cannot make them the center of our world. Because if we do, we create self-centered children. So, if child-centered parenting produces self-centered children, it would make sense that Christ-centered parenting produces Christ-centered children. Christ-centered family. To me, that brings a little bit of relief to me. It sounds simple enough to say it, but to really live that out, what does that look like? When we put Christ at the center of our home, when we make that conscious decision that we're going to keep him first in our lives, that's the first step as parents. We got to be there first. So we have to commit to that Christ-centered relationship in our life. And then we have to begin to live that out. And then once we do, all those things that we're hoping for, for our kids, that's when they begin to come in line. That's when they begin to come into focus. That's when we become, I become a better wife. Chris becomes a better husband. We together become better parents, better friends. Christ allows us to do that. We cannot do that on our own. So how do we apply it and what does that look like? So we've just got a few things we want to run through real quickly with you. And the first one is begin to make a conscious effort to do something Christ-centered in your home. Even once a week. Whether that's a meal around the table where you discuss, hey, what did you learn in One Way Street? What did you learn in One Up? What, what about Wonderland? Y'all, I can't tell you how grateful I am for the teaching that my children receive here week after week, year after year. It has helped shape who they are. That's right. There are things that I have missed. I'll be honest. My kids will come up to me and say, hey, we studied so-and-so and so-and-so in the Bible. And did you know he did this and conquered this and did that? And I'm like, oh, wow, I never told you that, did I? So I'm so thankful for the team of leaders that we have here. And if you have a heart at all for that, I beg you, serve. Absolutely. You serve. Whether it's with students or with youth or with babies, whatever that looks like. 
But in your home, be intentional about choosing that activity. There's some apps that Chris mentioned last week. There's ParentQ. There's YouVersion Live for kids. There's all types of things where we can begin to make God a part of our family. And we develop this family rhythm that also becomes a part of our God rhythm, which becomes a part of our reality. Day after day, week after week. Sometimes we do get overwhelmed. Sometimes we're going to blow it. But if we are intentional about taking those times to be Christ-centered, I promise you our children won't miss it. They'll remember that. God loves them so much. He will take our little tiny efforts and make those as as, um, bedrock foundations in our children's lives. The second thing is stop. We got to stop rescuing our kids. Now this sounds, this sounds harsh, I know. And so please hear me out on this. But I think sometimes as parents, we don't want them to feel the pain of their consequences. We don't want them to have to deal with that. And, and, and this, sounds, this sounds really simple, but it's true. There are times in the, in the mornings when we're all getting ready. And, you know, Jed might be over there trying to, you know, put his cream cheese on his toast. And I rush over and I'm like, oh, let mama do that. I will put a little flour or transformer or something in there for you. It's just going to look good. I'm going to put a design in there. Y'all, it doesn't matter. I don't have to have my, everything my way all the time. Sometimes that's selfishness on my part. But if I just rush in and do everything for them and rescue them, then I don't give them the chance to grow through that. If I don't pay the electric bill, there's going to be a consequence. What's going to happen if I don't pay the electric bill? That's right. I'm going to put on some candles. <laughs> Really? Is your mic, has your mic stopped working Hey, again? stop, stop. Just, just move away from me. I've got nothing for you. But, you know, we want to we wanna watch out for that because we don't, you know, we get to that point where, like, I don't want them to feel the pain. I will tell you, in my own life, there is a family member, not one of my children, but a family member that is now an adult that has just, oh, goodness. One decision after another, one poor choice after another. He has never felt the consequence of that. He has constantly had someone rescue him. And to this day, you guys, he struggles with being able to make it on his own. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know you do. Whether it's a sibling, a cousin, a friend, whatever that looks like, there's that person that always seems to have the get out of jail free card, but it's because someone else has given it to them. They're constantly looking for the rescuer. And in the end, does it benefit them? No. They don't ever learn to stand on their own two feet. And I'll be honest, the more that we feel the consequences of the actions that we choose and the choices that we make, that's when I am likely to begin to take responsibility for my life. I've got to feel that. I've got to understand that. Is it going to feel good all the time? No. But I will learn from those choices and I will grow from those consequences. What she said is just really, really good because we have this tendency to think that if, if, if I remove all the consequences so they never feel pain, I'm showing them that I love them. But is that parenting with the end in mind? It's not. Because if you rescue them here, here, and here, when they get 20, 30, 40. See, it's rescuing. It's another word. It's called enabling. And if you really love your children, you will let them feel consequences. 
We're struggling with this right now, aren't we? We're struggling with this right now. Because we don't want... We want our kids to be great and well-adjusted and good people that love Jesus. But we can't come in and remove all the consequences all the time because then we just teach them that they're the sinner. And Jesus is not the sinner. Another uh, step three, just a way that you can apply this. To not, grow, to not parent self-centered children is simply say no. Let's try that. You, you ready? Okay. Ready? No. Let's say that one more time. Some of you, that felt good. Somebody's the first time you've ever said Somebody's no. Somebody's struggling over here in this uh, section. We'll try like, that again. No. All right, over there. Ready? No. Now, sometimes you say yes. Nothing wrong with you. No. <laughs> so, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with yes sometimes. Sometimes you just need to say no. In fact, one of our elders pulled Kim and I aside after the first service said, you know, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's, you know what, we'll, let's do this together. He gave us an example. He says, okay, your child wants, uh, when 16, 17 years old, hey, I, I want a new car. No. But here's what I will do. You work and you come up with $400. And I will match that with $400. And we will get you the best car, $800. Can buy. It might have a steering wheel. It might. I mean, really, I mean, we're struggling with this right now. Again, we have a 16-year-old, and I used to be an expert on students because I was a student pastor expert. for 12 years with no teenagers in the house. And I had it all, I was an expert. And then I got a teenager in my house, and I realized I'm an idiot, and I know nothing. Right? So, we're, we're learning through this, so say no. Alright? you got to set boundaries. you got to set boundaries. And that leads us to the fourth one. you got to enforce the limits. Set boundaries, enforce the limits. Set boundaries, and then say, okay, if this is the boundary, boundaries just simply said, this is the edge, then you got to enforce that. Now, here's our problem as parents. We want to be their friend more than we want to be their parent. And God did not call you to be their friend. They got enough of those. If you got a 14-year-old, they really don't want a 40-year-old friend or a 30-year-old friend, right? You are, God, God has called you to be as your parent. And sometimes that's saying no. Sometimes that's saying, okay, this is the boundary. And then there's a consequence to that. And you got to enforce that. The longer I become, as, the longer I'm a parent, here's what I realize. There's a couple of secret sauces to being a parent. And here's one of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you. This is some good stuff. Ready? you got to be consistent as a parent. You really do. You got to be consistent. That if you say, okay, listen, curfew's at 10 o'clock. And if you're not here at 10 o'clock, then this is going to happen. And then, I know this is getting crazy, I know. And then if they're not there at 10 o'clock, guess what you're going to need to do? You're going to have to follow through and be consistent. Now, again, where we struggle with this is we don't think through the consequences. So your, your son or your daughter, and this is really important when they're younger because we, we all struggle with time. And your, your, your child does this and you're like, ah! And you get so frustrated and you think, you know what? Go to your room and you're not going to come out for two years. Right? And they're going to go, two years? Really? Or, you know what? I'm grabbing your iPod and I'm throwing it away. Really? 
You see, you're making up something on the spot, and you've not thought it through, right? And, and what happens is, they don't stay in their room for two years, and you don't throw the iPod away, and you're not being consistent. Imagine this, if, if we lived in a culture and a society that if a cop pulled us over, going 10 miles over the speed limit, and there wasn't any regulations, and they can just kind of do whatever they want to. Excuse me, Mr. Edmondson, you were going 10 miles over the speed limit. I'm, I'm, you're right, I'm sorry, officer. Um, now, you're going to serve 10 years jail sentence. But, but officer, but, but what... Uh, oh. If you keep on mouthing off, I'm going to bring back capital punishment, right? I mean, that w- that's unfair. But isn't that what we do as parents? We just make stuff up and then we don't follow through? Uh, we have to have consistency, consistency. And then lastly, if you really want to apply taking the focus off of your child and putting it on Jesus Christ and letting Jesus be the focus of your home, then you're, you and your children are going to have to serve others. It's the reason why we do what we do here at One Church. You know, we are with our student ministry. We don't offer any student ministry environments that happens on Sunday mornings. And they all happen on Wednesday night at the church offices. We have middle school from 6 to 7.30. And then we have high school from 7.30 to 9 o'clock. And let me tell you the reason why we do that. We could do that on Sunday morning. But you know what? We want our students to value serving other people. Do you know if it wasn't for... Our students, the majority of our children's environments would not be staffed. We have adults in every one of those environments. But we have godly teenagers that, want, that rock babies with adult supervision. Or hang out in one-way street with adult supervision. And we want our children to grow up realizing, I want my kids to grow up realizing it's not all about them. That they are called to serve other people. And let me just make this as a quick reminder to you adults. You know what Jesus said about himself? He said this in Mark 10, 45. He says that the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you know that if you are not willing to serve, you're placing yourself above Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, I did. Seriously, you are. Because Jesus didn't show up in this world and go, ta-da, you may serve me. Right? He didn't do that. He said, you know what? I'm going to show up and I'm going I'm to take on the form of a servant. And I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to wash other people's feet. And I encourage you, if you're an adult and if you want your children to get this, then you've got to get it. Because sometimes we can be self-serving, can't we? I can be selfish. We're going to close today looking at Philippians 2, 3 through 5. We're going to put all of it together that we've read. And it says, so, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than you, than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And isn't that what we want for them? Isn't that what we want for ourselves? Isn't that what the heart of Christ looks like? That we're not selfish, we're not trying to impress, we're not trying to one-up. But that we're taking an interest in others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. If we start there, 
parents. If we start there, adults, so many of the things in our lives will naturally come into focus. And we will be able to say to our children, and our children will be able to say, I know that I'm not the center of the universe, but I worship the one who is. I know that everything isn't always about me, but I know the one who created everything. That's right. I know that I am not the end-all, be-all, powerful, all the answers, but I know the one who is, and I know that without him, my life is nothing. That's what we want our children to grasp. That's what we want them to see. No, you are not the center of the universe, but he is. And he will love you and protect you and honor you as you pour out your life for him. As you humble yourself and serve others, he will lift you up. Y'all, I just have this this picture in my mind so often of the threshold of our house. And as each one of our boys gets ready to walk out of there, I know there's going to be some things in our, in our home that they won't remember. There's going to be things that they've bought for them, that we've got bought for them. They won't remember those things. Right. There's going to be trips that we've gone on. They'll forget about that. But I pray with everything that I have that as they begin to step out, they will be able to look back at Chris and I and they will be able to say, what my parents had, I want that. How I saw them live, I want to do that. I saw them love. I saw them serve. I saw them give beyond what I even knew was possible. And I want to do that. And that only comes from Christ alone. So the challenge today, parents, it's really for us. It's really for us. All of this instruction is for us. We must put our focus on Christ first. We must continue to focus on our marriage. And we, yes, we love our children to pieces. Yes, we do. But we must not forget to turn their faces and their hearts and their attitudes toward the only one who is worthy. The only one. Got a couple of questions before we close today. Um, Somebody texted in, how can I avoid my mom controlling how I parent when she believes she's right because she has the experience? I have no idea. Let's pray. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just joking. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think think you're going to have to have a conversation with her. You know, it's never a fun conversation. Um, You do it respectfully. We're always called to honor our parents. Um, You do it respectfully, but you say, Mom, I I love hearing your voice, um, but it's my responsibility to be her mom or my dad, her dad. Um, I don't mind listening to you, but you have to draw, here's the word, boundaries. Have you ever had to struggle with this? Sure. So, you got any words you want to say or anything like that? I'm I'm scared to say anything, I'll be honest. (laughs) Actually, Um, they've already left, so we're good to go. Oh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think, and and especially as as moms, if if you're a mom and and you're dealing with your mom, you know, you you don't want to be disrespectful, but our lives are very different. Um, I, I am nothing like 
either one of my parents. I'm just totally different from them. And, um, and the way they raised me, I'll be honest, it was wonderful. And I was raised in a, in a wonderful godly home. But there are some things that we do very differently. And, and we will come across the occasional comment where it's kind of like, well, you better hope you never, na 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 you know? And, and what I have to say in moments like that is, Mom, you're right. I hope I don't face that. And if I do, the only thing that I know to do is that I will just, I will have to pray. And I will have to get in the word and I will have to see what God says. And I don't think that I have this all together. And I appreciate you sharing that, but I'm just going to do it differently. That's, that's all I know. Conversation. You have to have a conversation. It's your responsibility. So um, another question, last question for today. Um, if your spouse wants to walk away from your marriage without trying and breaking up your family, what does God say about that? Isn't being a great parent also part of keeping your family together in God's eye? There's a lot of hurt there. I, I understand. Let me read that. Is it part of a, being a great parent also uh, keeping your family together? Let me say this. It's not just one person's responsibility to keep that family together. You see, and I've seen this all the time, and I've said this a lot. You, you'll see one, uh, one spouse be in it 100%. And then the other one is about 20, 30%. And it doesn't matter if that one spouse has so much passion and is 100% into it, unless this other spouse, unless God changes their heart, unless they change their heart, it's not going to work. So don't take responsibility. Take responsibility for your part of this. But if one spouse is walking out the door, realize it's their choice. It is not yours. And you being a good parent is you sticking around and loving on those kids and loving on the spouse that walked and just crying and weeping and just being there for them. So many times the church has really treated people who went through divorce very, very poorly. And we have been wrong for years. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're a part of a blended family. It started when you were a kid and you didn't choose it. You felt a lot of guilt about it. You didn't choose it. And you said, you know what? When I get married, I'm never. And then it happened to you. You didn't want it. But the other spouse walked. What do you do when that happens? You go to God and know that you're Heavenly Father is weeping alongside of you. Always move towards reconciliation, but that person doesn't want it. You can't force it. So, I'm going to pray for this individual and for us as a time. Before I pray, I just want to say, we're going to watch a video. Um, we're going to watch one video um, uh, of uh, Katie, who's going to do a couple of announcements. But I want to just say briefly, if you want your child to have Jesus as the center, immediately after the service, immediately, I want you to go get your child. And at the back of the gymnasium, we're doing something today, only today, we do this four times a year, called Jumpstart. And you and your child sit down and somebody tells them how they can begin a relationship with Jesus. And, you know, as a parent, you may think, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to tell them. I don't know, what if, I don't know if I'm going to do it right. Somebody is going to help there, be there and help you do it with you. 
So if you want your child to make Jesus the center of his or her life, today is the day to do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and I just thank you so much, God, um, just for allowing us um, to be parents. And I know when we took those kids home from the hospital, none of us felt equipped. <laughs> and 16 years later, we still don't feel equipped. And uh, we know we mess it up, God. But Lord, we know that when we, even when we do, Lord, you are there. And um, that you love them more than we ever could. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us as a church not to focus on our children solely. They're important, yes, but they cannot be the center of our world. I pray, Lord, that we would have children that grow up making Jesus the center. And Lord, I pray for this last text that we got in God. I pray for this couple, this one person who's wanting to walk out. God, I pray that you would change that person's heart. Lord, that you would um, allow that person to be able to run back to the spouse's arms and to repent and confess. And Lord, that's what we pray. And Lord, if they don't have a change of heart, God, I pray that that spouse who's left behind, Lord, that you would wipe his or her tears. You would hold them and realize, they would realize that God still loves them. You would uh, give them the bandwidth to be a good mom and a dad. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.